Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjoe Gall. Hello and welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic is using emerging technologies for banking innovation. And I have with me Andrew Baker, who is the CIO and CTO with CIB at APSA Group Limited. Hey, Andrew, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you. Great. So can I go by Andy then? Yeah, sure. Awesome, awesome. So... We know that we are dependent on banks and uh, we see them as helping us move about our lives without really being in the forefront. But there is a lot of implied expectations we have as consumers from banks and those are changing and shifting. So what is it that the banks are trying to do in order to improve what they offer, what do they, their propositions are to the customer, which would lead to higher revenue, and also how it could internally become effective through improved collaboration and innovation. That's what we wanted to discuss today, and all that in context of how much can emerging technologies that we are seeing impacting other industries and other areas of our lives and business can also help banking innovation. So that said, what do you think? So, so let's compare this from 10 years, like circa 2000 or so. If you were to compare and contrast what was being done for banks or by the banks to stay relevant and be profitable, how is that compared to today? That's a, that's a good question. Um, so a lot, a lot has changed in, in 10 years. Probably, probably you used two words there. You, you used relevant and profitable. For me, the, the, the most interesting word is relevant. So, so if you look at companies like Tesla, they haven't been prof- profitable up until the last quarter, but they're very, very relevant, and people can see them as relevant. And you look at another extreme, which is a company like Kodak, that was profitable for many years and became irrelevant and then disappeared very, very quickly. So I think the, the, the thing that the banks are picking up is that for, the, for many years, nothing really changed. And so we could operate in a very rigid format um, um, and, and deliver incremental change to our customers. And that kind of changed a lot, really post, uh, I guess, 2008, where the banking services became very disrupted. Um, so the big focus for us, I'd, I'd argue that, that profitable is, is really a consequence of, of being relevant, of doing the right thing over the right period of time. And so our focus shouldn't really be on short-term profitability, but should really put the, the customer at the heart of it. If you, if you took something like a search engine, for example, if you imagine a bank did that with their DNA, when you logged into the search engine, the first thing it would do, it would KYC you, it would ask you for all your details. The next thing a bank would do if it offered a search engine would ask you for your card details. And then finally, at the end, you might be able to search. And I think that's the biggest challenge for a bank, moving away from that regimented view of who you are, how can I make money out of you, to relevance. So, uh, Andy, what you just mentioned really is um, a good point where profitability should not be uh, as the focus for any organization. Totally agree. Now, given what all is changing and the competitive pressures, 
yes, we could work towards relevance, but then if things are shifting way too fast and humanly it's not possible to shift at that mm. pace, you got to still have the money coming in for you to be able to reinvest. So it becomes like a catch-up game. Is that what banking is playing yeah. now? It, yeah, I agree. So, so I, think, I think that we are, we are very worried about profitability to the point where uh, other things that are more important are possibly overlooked. So you, you, you touched another point. What I, I stood up in front, of, uh, in front of my team the other day, and we had a town hall, and we talked about three important things in technology, which is quality, cost, and velocity. And fundamentally, the thing that I'm focused on the most is velocity. Uh, and so, so my, the systems that we put in right now pretty much guarantee quality. They're, we're open source, so cost is not a feature. The biggest threat facing banks is actually velocity, our ability to absorb change, even just to keep up with regulatory demands is a struggle for us. So, so you, you've hit the nail on the head. The, the biggest challenge for us is actually to speed up, to change our way of working and how we implement technology and how we use emerging technology. We love this term enterprise technology. And typically, and, and this is a generalization, when you unpack those products, the term en enterprise means it's been around for 30 years. Uh, and, and normally enterprise technologies are, will not give you the velocity you want. When you're looking at these many things shifting and you're trying to stay relevant for, to make sure your internal operations are at least in sync with what the business may be demanding or regulatory, but regulatory demands actually don't keep your lights on. Yes, they could penalize you, but customers are the ones who are bringing money to you. So do you think unknowingly or unintentionally banks are being pulled into focusing on something which is not truly going to make the customer happy. So while we talk about customer centricity, are we shifting mm. away from it? So, uh, again, that's, a, you know, that, that's a, very, a very natural conclusion to draw. I, I would argue that what the regulators are asking us to do are, is actually what we should be doing anyway. In, in general. So, and so, so if you take, for example, a big regular, uh, regulatory burden that's kind of in the banking industry right now is, is BCBS, which is basically a data obligation. It's 15 principles that you, you should adhere to uh, around, around data. Now, you can look at that project and you say that's a regulatory project. But actually, if you do it brilliantly, it gives you amazing insights into your customers that you should have anyway. So, so I, you know, often when we do something, the regulators are the trigger to that workload. But actually, if you look at that workload and its intent and you do it well, it can transform your business. You can actually be more relevant to your customers and, regulatory and, and achieve reg compliance. When it comes to the customer demands and needs and wants and desires, would you say that shifted fundamentally in the last 10 years? Have you yeah. seen that changing? Massively. Could yeah, you define what that, uh, that, that, that changes? That, yeah, so I, I'll give you a few examples. So, so you know, it, it was an expectation that if you wanted something done in a bank, you would go and queue if we talk about a retail bank, and you'd fill out forms. And, and you know, most people will connect with the fact that banks have probably asked you for your name and address and date of birth 
you know, every single time you go near them. And when you go on a call center, you're, the, the way that we engage with our customers. Now, customers' appetite for that is diminishing very, very quickly to the point where if you, even if you offer a digital account opening, if, if it's not really simple and straightforward and they can't do it in a few minutes, then you'll see there's a massive abandon rate. And that just didn't exist. Ten years ago, people would give up their lunch breaks to go and stand in a bank queue to deposit cash. No, no one expects to do those things anymore. So there's a real expectation that everything is self-service, everything is on demand, that you already know who I am. You will already know how much you want to lend me. Uh, and the same is true in the corporate space. There's an expectation that they don't have to constantly re-engage with a bank. And that just didn't exist. It was and I think that's really come around from emerging technology and very disruptive startups that are taking the friction out of those engagements. So you picked up a baseline of someone taking a break during lunch hour and actually going to the bank to stand in queue. But if you even look at 10 years back or say seven, eight years back to be safe, the online banking did kick in. People started going, I mean, it's been ages since I went to the bank and Yes. If I, I, I maybe I'm not the traditional demanding customer, but if you look at a traditional demanding customer since the time the online banking has come and the basic things have come, have they further shifted their needs and become more demanding in a certain way? Assuming baseline is that online banking existed. Yes, so online banking is not new. In fact, for ABSA, we were the first in Africa to go live with online banking in, in, in 2001. So that's almost 20 years ago. What, what you will see, though, is that if you look at our our, our kind of uh, our market statements, look, you know, a large proportion of most banks' costs go on their corporate real estate in their branch network. And so, so whilst your point is accurate for for basic everyday banking, that's definitely the case that you can do almost all of that, if not all of that online, and in a lot of instances on your mobile phone. What, what you're seeing, though, is that actually whenever you want to do something like a loan or a car, a car loan or a home loan or anything, international payment, for example, those, those additional services haven't been fully digitized in most banks' uh, cases. And, that, and that's where most of the disruptive plays are at the moment. So not necessarily everyday banking. In a lot of countries, that's already free. You know, and it's actually reasonable. The disruption is coming around lending, around those ancillary products. In an ideal situation, I don't want to think about my bank and my life should continue seamlessly. When I want to buy a car, I want to buy a house, it should happen without it becoming a big project for me. If that happens, I think banks have done their job and earned my business. Are we there yet? Uh, so, so I'm glad you picked that example. Uh, for, for us, we are we are about to get there. So, for, for our organisation, we're picking individual products to completely digitise them, and and there are different ways of digitising things. Uh, there are one methodology would be to put a, le- a number of robots in to sort of screen scrape things from system to system, 
I, I'm not a huge fan of that. I, I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that's necessarily that sustainable. The other way of going is if you if you look at the kind of um, uh, uh, startup banking model uh, to create a product that sits away from your mainframe, away from all your legacy infrastructure. And so, in the in for, for Absa in the vehicle finance space, that is a project that we're actively uh, working on right now. To the point that, and it's, I really like this. The, the business also said, "How should it be?" Not what have we got and how can we make it marginally better, but what should the experience be? And it kind of almost quoted what you just said. It should just be there. You already know who I am. If I go into a, a, a dealership, why wouldn't you just give me the loan if I bank with you already? And that's pretty much where, where we're headed for a lot of services, almost like on-demand products when you need them, preloaded, no data capture. You know, and, 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 and I, think, I think that's a very powerful place for banks to land. Let's take a quick break, listeners, and we'll be right back. Let's explore this further because you could, on one hand, make it seamless and almost every time someone goes, they get a, uh, the loan, but then you also have to take care of the credit risk. And then you've got these regulatory changes, which in some form or fashion also impact the consumers. What is your holy grail of customer experience and what is your utopic state of internal operations. Let's first define the two and see if there could be a direct match between the two. Can you be eating the cake and having it too? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise mobility management and document sharing solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, if you look at a utopic state of internal operations, which is you want to get to, and then on the other hand, even though it is dynamically shifting, but you have a holy grail version of what a customer would want 
today, tomorrow, and in the future, if both could somehow be matched, then you can go to Hawaii if, if, if that's what you could achieve. How are you approaching it? Or is it going to be a firefighting match for times to come? So, so I guess, the, I guess the, the first thing to say is that in, in my view and in, in, in my experience, um, we, we try not to, to guess what the future is. So, so I, I, one of the terms that I'm really allergic to is this concept of future proof um, and, and thinking that we're so smart that we know where the customer is heading. I, I don't think that is the case. Um, there, the, the big thing for, for us, our, our utopic state, if we were where we wanted to be right now, it would be frictionless banking. We would want to be able to, to provide infinite on-demand scale. So you know, this is obviously from a technology perspective. So there are, only, there are certain ways of achieving that, and, and mainframe is not, not that route. So we would, be, we would be heavily into sort of public and private cloud infrastructure that would enable that automatic scaling. And from a, from a customer perspective, um, I think the customers want us, and this is, this is an interesting thing for us to get our heads around. So right now, banks are, are very captive in their nature. So, so you download the banking app for the bank that you bank with. What they haven't got quite right now, and this is kind of where we would like to be in our utopic state, is that you may be on Amazon.com and you want to buy something and you want to generate a loan there. At this point in time, you then swivel chair onto your bank and you apply for that loan and then you wait for the money. So the big thing for us right now is actually trying to find ourselves where the customer is without the customer having to come to us. And that really talks to the API economy. So that, that's really where we feel that there's a big opportunity in the future. If you are working on the customer demands, and I buy that point that we don't have crystal balls, so let's not go beyond what's possible, truly. You, do you see that with all the different technology availability, where you talk about AI, you talk about cloud, you could have virtually infinite computing strength, intelligence, identification strength, scaling from an infrastructure strength. So are we the ones causing the friction as humans who are not able to tie them together to get you the frictionless for the customer and also have the, the most optimized internal operations? What's the bottleneck then? Wow, that's a big question. Um, I don't think there is a single bottleneck. I think there are, there are different constraints depending on, on, on what you're trying to do. So, so a very, very simple thing, you know, um, uh, we did user testing. So we have user testing labs on, on our products and, and we allow people to buy electricity for their electricity meter through WhatsApp. Um, and uh, one of the things that we saw, uh, depending on which channel they used, you know, simple things like the font size were difficult for certain age populations. So, so, so digital banking, you know, and obviously in, in Africa, you've got a very diverse user base in terms of what, what phone they have, for example, as well. So that creates a bottleneck. You can provide a very rich environment uh, with a really slick UX on an iPhone or uh, an Android product. But then if you have to do that over USSD, you know, which is those old sort of Nokia-type feature phones, that's more problematic uh, and, and is more limiting. So I don't think there's necessarily a single constraint on, on getting there. I think, you know, in my experience, most changes are 
very similar to wars in their nature. They don't happen easily. Uh, they're very expensive. They're very destructive. And so the, the biggest thing you need to kind of meet the challenge is, is, a, is a, you can't be fragile. You have to be very determined in, in achieving sort of a, a very strong digital offering for your customers. Um, and then you have to constantly have those feedback loops where you're trying to figure out why isn't this getting adoption? You know, why, why are we not connecting with our customers? And you need that very early on in the cycles. You spoke about the fonts. You spoke about the UI. We spoke about the technology that we can dole out for the customer. But if you go to the customer, is that what they're looking for? Are they, are they enamored by those aspects, those tactical aspects, or they're looking for a holistic experience? So if you were to get a focus group done, and I'm sure you must be doing that, what are the customers yeah, saying what they're not getting today? Yikes. So, so I think my, my, the, they're not, there's not a single message. And so obviously we deal with, the, with the corporate customers and we deal with retail customers. And there's very different messages coming from those audiences in terms of where they would like to see us. Um, so talking in, in the corporate space, I think you know, what they're looking for is, is end-to-end optimization. So, so what the corporate players are, are saying fundamentally is that you know, a lot of them spend a lot of money on their, enterprise, on their ERPs, on their kind of SAP-type systems, and then they have to swivel chair and type into a bank's corporate channel to process invoices. And they're saying, you know, I have a team of people doing that. Why don't you come and meet me and integrate? So that for, in the corporate space, they're asking for pure straight-through processing from them to us friction-free. In the retail space, and again, it, it varies depending on what product you're looking at, a very similar message is saying that, you know, uh, and uh, uh, this is something absolute pioneered just recently, we were the first bank globally to do banking over WhatsApp, so conversational banking. We've got massive positive feedback from our user base for, for doing that. Um, so, so I don't think there's one thing, but what the, there's a theme here that customers are saying, come to us. Don't make me necessarily have to engage with you. Come to the car dealership. Be there. Integrate to their terminals uh, and, 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 and take away the friction of banking. So I'm sure the effort is on. And there is a saying that we got to become the company our customers want us to be. And if you were to look at all the demands that they come, what's your basis of rationalizing and prioritizing those so that you could stick to the mantra because that's the only way you'll retain them because there's a competition Mm -hmm. there. But is this just a lip service or are we really putting the money and our effort where the mouth is? So so if if you're talking about as an industry, I, I definitely think there are um, there's, there's a lot of talk in, in the banking sector and you know we, we as a community we, we hire from each other we're very aware of kind of where each of us are in, in a maturity state so I think your comments got got basis you know in terms of, of, of some level of lip service of digital lip service I don't think that's a sustainable position for any bank to find themselves in and I think most banks if they are in that position right now don't want to be there um, so I, I, for, from, from, an, from an ABSA perspective, 
you know, the, the prioritization comes 100% from the business, you know, and, and, and it comes in conjunction with the customer. It's definitely not the case that, that technology would lead a, a prioritization discussion. We are not a control function. You know, we, we, we are a service provider, and, we, and we're very engaged with our, with our business stakeholders in terms of, you know, how to do things, and, and, and they're, you know, they're open to our ideas, but it's definitely the case that, you know, the the focus is making sure that there's a very simple chain of command to make a decision about digitizing a product set, doing it in a meaningful way, and doing it with the customer. You mentioned that you hire from each other. I remember talking to a CIO from a healthcare who actually came from a hospitality industry. And the reason that person was brought in was to create that experience that patient was looking for. So instead of trying to use our uh, knowledge of healthcare, would not suddenly create the experience which the customer wants. So are you purposely not looking at hiring from places which are even more customer centric, even more have more knowledge and experience dealing with their psyche or changing psyche and let that fresh blood and fresh thinking disrupt in a positive way how banking ought to be? Um, so f- f- from our perspective, we're, we're definitely, you know, so there's a, there's a war for talent in technology and it's definitely not the case that we just, you know, go to the other banks to hire from them only for them to hire back from us in, you know, in a few months. That, that's not a sustainable position. We have to create talent is one, one response to that question. And the other thing is, yeah, we're very active. I mean, my, my background is I'm a civil engineer. I, I did geotechnical modeling. That's what I started my career in. So uh, in our industry, engineers do very well. They have a very pragmatic approach to solving complex problems. We like diversity in our hiring, both from a gender, from a race, from a corporate experience perspective. We, you know, we run across 12 countries, so it's definitely the case that we want we want as wide a section of, especially when it comes to digital stuff, you, you know, you, you definitely can't be in a place of, of copying somebody. You're never going to be digitally disruptive. So we definitely look to adjacent businesses. We like startups. We love hiring from startups. The culture that they bring in is, is really good. And it challenges us, right? People who come from startups are very demanding on, on a bank. They're very low tolerance to a lot of the banking controls that you'll see in most organizations. So it, for us, it's almost like a health check to make sure that we can bring in from other industries and, people, and, and, and develop a culture that people are really, really happy to work in. Let's talk about the emerging technologies. So I'm sure most of the recent ones which have come through, whether you talk quantum computing, AI, IoT, you name a a, a technology, it could have a use case for banking. Now, if you were to look at your list, what has been the set of business cases which have allowed you to get the funding? Excuse me. And also the ability to create a very good positive ROI metric so that you can invite those technologies in. What are those business cases? What is that formula for ROI? So 
So, you know, I'm going to go back to my original comment. I, I don't think that we're necessarily led by ROI, and especially when you look at disruptive technologies, you know, the, the, the likelihood of being able to predict a return is very low, uh, you know, and there's actually quite a high failure rate. So the focus is on efficiency of, of tackling a workload at a very low cost base uh, and being able to get and, and be able to have consumption-based costs. So in, in terms of technologies that we, we, we are enjoying at the moment, we are, we are a huge open source player. Um, and, and that's not a technology. I'd say that's more of a culture than a specific technology. But we like that from a quality perspective. We like that from, from, uh, from killing this kind of build or buy argument. Open source is the third option. Uh, in our open source uh, products, we typically own about 1% of the source code, and, 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 and we love being part of technology communities. So I think, I think the biggest thing, if you look at the likes of Google, uh, they bring out, they open source brilliant technologies, and you'd always think to yourself, why don't they sell that? And the bottom line is they want to benefit from a community developing that product. So um, the big, big one for me is open source. And then, and then hybrid cloud has been quite powerful for us. I wouldn't say that's an emerging technology. That's, that's relatively well established. The other thing that we're active in is distributed ledger technology. I think some people might refer to it as blockchain. We're definitely not fans of blockchain. We do enjoy uh, distributed ledger technologies, and, and we're doing something in the identity space um, at the moment, which we're, which we're really excited about. Would you say a banking um, company should become a technology company if they were to thrive? <laughs> so I've got a few people in the room. They can see a big smile on my face when you ask that question. Um, I'm a technologist. So that, you know, that's not a fair question to ask me. I'm going to answer that yes, obviously. I, I, do, I do fundamentally believe that the, that the financial services industry is becoming a technology-driven, it is not already, it, and, and my background is uh, I was a programmer for high-frequency trading. So, so I worked in an industry that was very disrupted by technology to the extent that it is a pure technology business now. And, and I see lots of similar traits now uh, coming into mainstream banking. So I, I am of the view, I don't know what the time frame would look like, but I'm definitely of the view that, that banking is, and you look at companies like Monzo in the UK, it's a technology company that offers banking. So yeah, I, I'd say that for me, yes, I think that's where we're headed. In fact, a few days ago, I had a conversation with a gentleman who predicted in his own, with his own logic, that if the banks don't go in becoming the technology company, then the major technology companies will end up owning banks. And he said it because. I, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think. I don't think that's a quantum leap to get to that conclusion. And, I, and I'm not even sure that they'll own banks or, or whether they will just disintermediate them. So I think either of those two are options. I'm not sure if I was a technology com company, I'd necessarily want to buy a bank's technology stack. Um, I, think, I think there are very few, there are banks out there with very modern stacks. If you look at the average age of the technology in most banks across the, across the globe, uh, their stacks aren't that great. So you're actually buying a, a, you know, an address 
Facebook, a, a bunch of customers. And, and for some bigger players out there, especially in the mobile space, they already have more than that number of customers using their platform right now. So you see Samsung and Apple starting to introduce banking functionality into their products there. And that essentially allows them a, a roadmap to disintermediate banks. Now, if you were to look at the investment strategy, and, and you mentioned you're not a big fan of looking into the future, but then when you go to your CEO's office or whosoever is uh, making sure that the budget is properly spent, what's your pitch? So when I say I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of looking into the future, that, 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 that's not quite what I said. I, I said I don't believe in future-proof. Um, so I don't believe in doing something. I, 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 and we always hear this term strategic technology. That normally means it's going to take years to do and cost, you know, a massive amount of money. So I, I genuinely believe definitely follow the trends, look to the future, but, but don't try and make such a massive directional play today that you have to pay that mortgage back for the next five years because it doesn't give you any latitude. When a new technology comes out next year, you, you're limited in terms of your ability to adopt that so uh what was the second part of your question yeah so so i'm saying like in in what all way are you going to if you if you don't look very far and and i understand that you don't want to future proof it but you could not be also playing the weatherman that you hedge your bet so much that you don't put a stake in the ground and there is no so-called direction where you're going to go in a definite fashion because you got to stand it's it's almost like a brand you're establishing that we will do a b yeah. c you have to define it we cannot be dilly dallying yeah, we, we cannot be hedging it no absolutely absolutely I mean, we, but, but my, my, my point is that the, and i mentioned it right at the start of the thing the, uh, right at the, call, the, the key thing is velocity so, so absolutely, we have a strategy, and we are really happy with that strategy, and we constantly reprice that strategy. So we don't just say, for example, Kafka Spark is our data stack, and it's going to stay that way for the next 20 years. We don't, we, the key point that I'm trying to get across is we want to remove that mainframe thinking where you say, I'm here, I'm going to die in this space, and therefore I can spend billions on this because it's going to be with us forever. So, so our trick is to be very adaptive and to be able to absorb new technologies. And in, 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 in fact, in that, in that regard, we're actually now, uh, for, for the first time ever, we are selling technologies back into the market. And that's something that we've, <clears throat> you talk about uh, technology companies buying banks. The other, the counter argument for that is we believe there's a real option for banks to sell technology products back into the market, which, which some banks have started to do already. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And um, Andy, when we come back, let's talk about the specific advice you will have for other leaders who may be in similar space to come up with a short-term, a mid-term, and a long-term technology-enabled investment strategy that would lead to a sustained growth and profitability for the organization. What would that look like? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Your growing business needs a highly productive workforce, effectively communicating and collaborating without exposing corporate data to cyber attacks. Are you looking to balance security and workforce productivity? Move beyond short-term measures and securely scale your business with BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management Solutions. To learn more, please visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. 
Patient-centered care requires a connected enterprise. Are you ready? If you're looking to scale your healthcare IT efforts, visit redmain.com forward slash health today. Whether it's to connect data from multiple partner solutions or developing software for unique needs, Redmain can help. To find out how Redmain can help your company deliver on the patient-centered care promise, visit redmain.com forward slash health or call 773-693-3919. Visit today. Predict your company's future by creating it. Is your workforce able to connect, exchange ideas, and share brilliance simply and securely? Create tomorrow, today. Empower your people to innovate anytime and anywhere with secured BlackBerry Enterprise Mobility Management and Document Sharing Solutions. To learn more, visit blackberry.com forward slash enterprise. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Short-term, mid-term, and long-term technology-enabled investment strategy, if you had to propose, which will you know, take care of the customers, help refine your internal operations, and be able to get you the growth and relevance, which we spoke about earlier, if you, even if you don't talk profitability. What would that look like? What have you done in your specific organization and what factors did you use to define or which ended ended up helping you define the type of strategies, short-term, mid-term, and long-term? Okay. So um, this could be a very long answer and I'll, and I'll, try, and, I'll try and stay on point. I'll, I'll start with short-term because that's, that's definitely the easiest one to do. So uh, most banks will find that they are they're quite heavyweight in terms of their existing technology cost. And so you mentioned this at the start, you know, it's, it, you, you've got a potentially a negative jaw situation. If you want to become a digital bank, you've got to pay for this very large legacy estate, um, but you want, you, you have aspirations. So, so in the short term, the easiest thing to do is, is create headroom. So, uh, you know, our short, our short term focus is, is very much on, on, on moving a lot of our product sets to open source on, 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 on really simple things. So, so for example, us as a, as a bank, we had 10,000 square meters of data center. Um, by the end of this year, we'll have roughly 1,000 square meters of data center. That creates a huge amount of headroom for us. So there are lots of, there are thousands of little initiatives that don't deliver much, and there's one or two big initiatives that deliver a lot, and that sort of enables funding of the midterm. You know, because we're definitely not seeing, uh, and you know, look across the, the globe, I don't see, you don't see many banks posting sort of double-digit uh, revenue growth. Um, so if you, if you really want to make a digital investment and really serious about digitizing yourself, you need to find that headroom in your, in your short-term plan. Um, and so we, we are very active in that. That's, that's a process we've been going on for, for, for a little while, and it's relatively mature, and we're comfortable with the, the progress right now. And that kind of leads into the midterm piece. The midterm piece for us is, um, and again, driven by the business and the customer. So this can pivot. But, but right now what we're seeing is that there's, 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 a, there's a strong case for, for a lot more use of data. So banks sit on petabytes of, of data, and in general, we don't do a huge amount with it. So in order to be relevant to our customers in the midterm, you, know, you, you really need to start 
stop sort of spamming your customers with SMS messages asking about things that's not relevant to them. I mean, you've all had it. You, you jump onto Google and, and, it, and, and right at the top, there's an advert for a camera and you've been looking for a camera and you're like, okay, that's just weird. You know, uh, you kind of get the opposite experience in, in banks right now. We pitch to you, you know, stuff for children and you don't have children. So, so the big, the big f- focus for us in the middle, in the midterm is to be data driven and with really, really rich u- user experiences. And then the longer term strategy would be, and, and again, depends on how long you class long term and driven by customers again, would be you'd look to try and fully digitize your organization. Now, whether, whether you would get there, you know, is a, is a long stretch, but I think certainly the short and medium term things feel real, feel tangible, and, and you know, we're well on the way to, 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 to kind of achieving our goals in both those spaces. So given those investments, now also you mentioned about going the open source route and and kind of transform your organization into a technology company. So you're not just banking on, not banking, but uh, depending on third-party software products, which then you have to somehow integrate. So if you were to truly look at these latest technologies, you talk AI, you talk cloud, you talk about RPA, you talk about many other paradigms that are surfacing. Are you saying you're going to become a mini Google which will have its own streams of technology innovation running in the company, within the company where integration will be by design and you will be spending or or you'll be building your own proprietary stack which will give you the competitive advantage. Is that your suggestion to organizations who want to stay ahead? So... So I'm going I'm to say a few, few things there. So, so in general, we, we, we believe in community. So, so, so I, we have some brilliant technology, uh, and we, we really like what we've done, uh, for, especially in the data space uh, uh, for Spark, for example, uh, and we've open sourced it. Right, so in that instance, we believe that's, that's a community play. We're not looking for revenue from it. We have commits from various other banks around the world changing and adopting and evolving that software, and it delivers huge value into us. So that's one edge that we've got. On the flip side of it, we also have proprietary technology where we have, uh, example, in high-frequency trading, we wouldn't open source our, our code there. There's a commercial advantage of owning it, and it's a relatively com- compact uh, piece of code or infrastructure to own so we we like what we have there but we would we would generally definitely prefer to be part of communities in terms of becoming a mini google um that's 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 quite that's that's a bit of a reach um so it's an edge for us today that's what we can say we we never tried this before we created uh, a compression algorithm for compressing financial data um, and it's a, it's a big problem in the, in the finance industry. And we were able to get amazing lossless compression rates. Um, and you can run this software in the cloud and you can access the data in real time without uncompressing it. We feel that that's a very unique proposition. Uh, we had a technology company review that software and they immediately uh, uh, placed a purchase with us. So we, we, so I'd say that, you know, we got 40, you got to put it in context. We've got 40, 40 odd thousand people people, right? So, so right now we have an edge. We have probably 
10 people working on things and that 40,000 population that can create revenue streams. What's exciting for us is that already we have orders that make some parts of technology self-funded. And, and that's quite powerful. So I mentioned that before, and your short, short-term strategy is creating headroom. So if you can monetize some of your assets, and what, what I really like about the partnership we're forming is that the technology companies prepared to put money in to those problems, to be part of that, to co-author that software. So historically, as a bank, your only place for funding is your your captive banking customers. In the future, wouldn't it be awesome if you're solving a problem that's an industry problem and a technology company wants to partner with you because we certainly don't want to be in the business of, it's not key to us to support technology product. We're not going to run a support line. We're not going to, you know, that, that's definitely outside of our scope. So to partner with somebody who wants to be an on-seller of technology and take our IP out into, 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 the, into the wider banking industry, that's very exciting for us. See, a lot of organizations are uh, promoting the idea of agility and reducing the time to market. So definitely there is advantage in you making it community-driven and also have some proprietary things. But what if you were to look at this whole emerging technology space as nothing else but a bunch of different uh, groups coming up with exciting technologies and making it open enough that they could be integrated easily, then what you wanted to achieve for the end customer who anyway doesn't care whether you are an open source community or not, they just want the feature, that frictionless computing, and you could get that done sooner versus wearing the badge of a pride of ownership. What do you say to that? Is that school of thought different than yours? So is, is the, just, just restate that question because I'm not sure I follow it. So, so think of many different technologies are coming and they can integrate with each other. So instead of, and then they are saying, let's not even build anything in-house. Let's go keep subscribing to different cloud services or capabilities, cloud-based capabilities, yeah. or buy some other software which is open enough that it very quickly you know, connects okay. with each other using microservices okay. or whatever form of integration. So we get the actual service out to the customer sooner and not fall in love with the, the technology creation aspect, as you had mentioned. Okay, okay, that's a great question. 100%, yes, it's definitely the case. We are big SaaS players. So we, we pick our targets, right? We, we don't say that we are only doing open source and we will religiously follow that strategy and rebuild the world and write our own operating system, write our own printer drivers. We don't do that. And there, there are brilliant companies out there that we are very publicly partnered with that we love, that, they, that do CRM systems in the, in the SaaS space that, that are, we would never dream of competing with that. And what they do, and you touched on that, Time to market is extremely short, and they are, it's an open framework. So, so it achieves our goal. We, we get what we want, and the, the cadence of the software that we... So we definitely in that movie. We, we are not religiously open source. We are big SaaS users, uh, and we, just, we pick where we want to be uh, internal and where we believe, for example, payments. We believe that's fundamental to being a bank. So in that instance, we wouldn't pick a SaaS provider for that. Uh, our customers have constant demand of innovation and change there. 
from a security perspective, we like the fact that we maintain that in, on, on premise. Um, but yeah, you, you, your question is very accurate. Time, time, as long as I get my time to market, and it has to fit those three vectors, quality, cost, and velocity. And, and there are SaaS players out there that are, I could never touch. Even if I hired a thousand developers and you gave me a thousand years, I'm not going to touch those, the, you know, those services. So we love using those products. Let's quickly talk about security because you're going into areas, whether you use third-party providers or your own, and we also know that the speed at which, including everything else, security-related threats are moving and the people who are trying to get into your systems and create issues and have people lose their shirts and people get fired is increasing. How are you balancing that part? Because no CISO can today say, that they have got it covered. They may already be mm. hacked. What are you doing so, about it? So, um, yeah, so, so to give you a little bit more about my background, um, I, I work on Kali Linux a lot. I'm very uh, competent in terms of security skills and, and competent enough to know, you know, not, not to make ignorant statements about security. Uh, security is a real problem for, for the financial services sector. And... Um, you know, you, you're, you're misguided if you think you have complete security. So it's a big focus for us. I'd say what we're doing that's, that's maybe different to a lot of other areas uh, in, our, in our newer product sets is um, we're, we're, we're having cross-functional teams. When we do a build, we have cross-functional teams that build that, including security experts sat with our team and upskilling our teams. So we use a number of companies that come out and train our developers. And it's, it's, some of it's really basic stuff. It's a lot of developers aren't aware of OWASP threats. So they'll put something live. And, you know, if you go to the OWASP website, you will see the top 10 things that break uh, organizations. And, and probably 90% of the attacks happen in those top 10. So from a security perspective, we are huge in training. Uh, we really, we're really focusing a lot on, on monitoring. So there's a, obviously a lot of energy on prevention. You have your penetration tests, et cetera. But when you look at some of the, um, the bigger kind of media grabbing security events, what you tend to see is that the, the dwell time or the, the time that the, the, um, the, the threat is within an organization, you know, so, so someone hacks into you, the number of days that that goes undetected in, in a lot of financial institutions can be, can be days, can be weeks, and in some instances is months. And so for, for us, you know, as everyone is focused on protection, including us, but the two pieces where we would say that we, we have extra energy for uh, is really around real-time monitoring, putting EDR systems in, uh, and baking in security at an application level. So not, not just building something agnostic of security and then trying to harden it in production with firewalls and, you know, IDPs. We actually build in security controls into our application stacks. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank you, Andy, for sharing your thoughts and insights about how banks are working to improve their customer propositions for higher revenue and profitability and, in your terms, relevance, and also in that process, exceeding customer expectations by leveraging these emerging technologies. So thanks so much for your input today. A pleasure. Thank you. And listeners, hope you enjoyed. I learned a lot. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter. Join us on Facebook and LinkedIn. And thank you again for listening to this segment on CTN. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless.
Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.